your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be reading from chapter 4, the first two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. So then men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Father, help us to understand we've been entrusted with. God, open our eyes, God, and give us, Lord, a revelation, not just in our mind, but in our heart. Lord, it's not just something, God, that we see as valuable, but we understand the depth of that that you desire, God, for us to know. The word you've given us. God, secrets to the kingdom of God. Lord, that will unlock mysteries of people's lives. Father, that that, Lord, you want to show us how much you love us. And God, the plan you have for us, thank you for that. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Far beyond what we could humanly understand. And, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you promised has been sent to lead and guide us in the truth. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Don't forget to uh, grab one of these little connect sheets. On this sheet contains all the information of all the small groups we have going on that are, are kind of going on just in the next three months and also those that are ongoing. And you see there's a number of those, so there's no excuse. There's a number of things to be involved in. And uh, after you begin to hear the word today, you begin to realize the importance of God's word. Because in the King James Version, it says it's required of stewards that we are found faithful. Well, last week we've been talking about the design for giving. And we talked about, first of all, how that we are called and designed to give because we were designed in the very image of God. And God gave. And so we looked at, first of all, how we are to give. And then we talked about what we are to give. And then why we are to give. And the Word of God is very clear about that. But all of a sudden we see something here that, that Paul tells us. And it's found in a couple of verses, but it's that that kind of begins to be progressively revealed as we realize the importance of it. Because when it says that we have been given a trust and that we are entrusted with something, it's something that we need to understand that God holds that as a very important thing. In fact, God really opened my eyes on this several years ago when I had, a, I had a young man, you know who he is, and he called me and said, I need to talk to you. And I kind of had an idea what he wanted to talk to and what he wanted to say, and so I was ready to really give him a hard time. And I did, because that's what fathers do, right? And sure enough, we actually, I, I was up meeting at an alumni meeting at North Central, and, and he was there, and so I, I was a little bit late, and because uh, I wanted to keep him waiting, you know. And uh, as, he, as he's talking to me, and I know he wants to ask for my daughter's hand in marriage, I thought, this is an incredible opportunity I have to make this guy squirm, you know? It's like I'm holding his destiny in my hand. <laughs> and, 
And so there was, yeah, there's probably some of those. But then all of a sudden it hit me as he talked. And it, it just, a wave came over me. And I, I began to almost shake as I began to realize that, in fact, God spoke this to me. He said, I've entrusted you with the care of your daughter. And now this young man is asking you to entrust her with him. And there was some part in there that I kind of zoned out and really didn't know what he was saying because God just hit me with that. And it just, it just, I mean, it shook me. It got a hold of me. And it was like a wake-up call as I began to realize what that word entrusted really meant. And I began to think about just all the things I went through with my children. Good times, bad times, scary times. And all those things that like it just kind of flashed through my through my mind very quickly. And it was it was like the Lord was asking me, You need to take this seriously. He's asking to be entrusted with your daughter. And the next thing I know, I I, I hear the words, I can't imagine my life without Amy. And I looked at him and I said, I can't imagine my life without Amy. And at first I was like, am I, am I supposed to say no? What? I mean, it was, it was a hard thing. And, and I began to kind of try to bring it back because I, I wanted to kind of make him think because I knew he was called to, to plant a church. And, and so I said, oh, you know, don't worry because, you, know, uh, you know, I'll be with you. And, you know, it's, it's a hard thing, but, you know, you know, it's God's call and he's going to pray for you. And, and I could see he got nervous because he was trying to come make a circle back around and bring it back to where he could really say, I'm asking for your daughter's hand in marriage. I just wanted to prolong it. And uh, finally, he just, he said, I want to marry Amy. And I looked at him and I said, you know what, Zach? You need to understand that her mom and I have been praying for her ever since she was born. And we're praying for the man that she knew, that we knew that should one day marry. And I said, you need to understand that we take this seriously. And all of a sudden, it hit me again. And I got kind of teary. And I said, this is not a light thing you're asking. But I said, you know what? I believe that God has set you apart to be a husband for my daughter. Relief came over him. and <sighs> But it began to build. In fact, from that time until the wedding, it really wasn't long. It was about six or seven months. But God began just hitting me with that. And I began to realize the investment that I had placed into my kids. And I realized, you know what? I am now releasing my daughter to the care of someone else. And that understanding of investment and entrusting was that that really began to change in the perspective of my mind and my heart. And it came back to this where he says, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ. In other words, the world should regard us as servants of Christ. Everyone should. As that we've been entrusted with the secrets of, secret things of God. I want you to think about that. We've been entrusted with the secret things of God. So God is saying through Paul here, understand that I have entrusted with you 
the very mysteries of heaven, the secret things I've entrusted with you. And I require, I require that you are faithful with that. Do we really understand the implications here? Or even understand the depth of what he's talking about? To realize that we've been entrusted with the word of God. It's not just letters on a page. It's words of life. It's that that David said, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. The Bible talks about Jesus described it as the bread of life. It's his word. It's life. It's breath to us. Do we understand the implications that we've been entrusted with the secret things of God, with his word? Does that, is that something that really grips us? Do we realize that this is an important thing? We don't just take it lightly and say, yeah, it's just in another book. It's the best-selling book. It always has been, always will be. Why? It's the word of God. It's that that he breathed into life. In fact, all of creation, God spoke into existence. And God desires to speak to us. In the Greek, there are two words that talk about and describe God's word. One is logos, which means the written word. And there's another word. And it's that that too many times we just kind of dismiss it. And it's rhema. It's a spoken word. Where God desires to speak that from his spirit to our spirit. It's a direct connection with God. Where sometimes we get lost in all the milieu of all the things in in our life and all the struggles we deal with, that God speaks to us spirit to spirit. And it's that that when he speaks to us, it's like a connection that just, as Katie talked about, it's just energy that just runs through us. It's an electricity. We've been entrusted with God's very word. Now, we can hardly expect the world to value God's word if the church isn't a faithful steward of God's word, can we? And yet, that's what's happened in America. It's that Christians have lost the impact that they have been entrusted with the very secret things of God. And because they've taken it lightly, our world doesn't even value God's word. In fact, we have those that claimed at one time to be a preacher of the word of God that have now backed away and are writing books and decry and and deplete the word of God and saying that it is not God's word, it's just man's interpretation. And we misunderstand that that God has given us. There's a song a long time ago I used to sing. It's an older song called People Need the Lord. And one of the verses of that song talks about that we are the only word of God that some people will ever read. means that some people will never read the Word of God. They'll never pick a Bible up and read it for themselves. What the song is talking about that we become, our life becomes the only Bible they'll ever see. Think about that. What do people see when they look at you? What kind of a Word of God do they see when they see your life? That's just a sobering question, isn't it? When you realize the responsibility that's been given to us, it's a huge to be entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And yet, that's what Paul does. He brings it down. In fact, in the second letter of the Corinthians, he says this, All is from God, 
who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and counting men's, not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I like the way he says that because what Paul is doing is he's now breaking down the very thing that he described in 1 Corinthians 4 saying, okay, this now, this is part of the secret things of God. And he begins to talk about the message of reconciliation, of how God now is taking his word and it becomes a personal invitation for man to come and have a relationship with him. And then he says this, that God does not charge his sin against us, but that he sent his son to be an offering, to be a pardon for us. And in the description, we begin to recognize even further and the depths of it, of how valuable God's word is, how valuable that we've been trusted with a word that now he says is not just one of the secret things of God, it is the word of reconciliation. It is that word that God is calling out to men, be reconciled to God. So we consider that. How many have ever in here been, been injured by someone or Maybe you've been offended. Somebody has hurt you in some way. Let's see. Lift your hands. You know what? Every one of us. Every one of us. And the Word of God describes that and helps us understand that even to the point where one of our very prophets found himself in the same place. Where God says, I am going and I'm sending you to Nineveh because Nineveh is going to repent before me. And Jonah said, no. Because I know what Nineveh is, and they're very wicked. You see, sometimes in our anger, we can kind of find ourselves in a place where we kind of uh, choose sides and decide that uh, some people are salvageable and others are not. Been reading uh, some people's just replies to what happened in New York and that decision, and, and man, there's some people that get really ugly with what they say, and it's like, Wow. And some of these people are, are Christians. I'm going, oh my goodness, Lord, help us. We, we, we lose sight of what... And, and, and all of a sudden it hit me and I realized that's kind of what Jonah did. Jonah gets angry. In fact, I, I, wanna, I want you to see this. And it's found in, uh, in Jonah chapter 4. Because Jonah's response indicated that he didn't understand the heart of reconciliation. He didn't see and understand God's heart of reconciliation. It was not something that he understood. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. Now think about this. Jonah not only gets angry, but he, he prays in this anger. And he says, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Wow. How's that for intense? A, a prophet of God says, that's it. God, just take my life. I knew you were going to save him, but I didn't want him saved, so just kill me now. Wow. Do you realize that's even in the Bible? Look at God's response. I love this, how God deals with us. The Lord's replied, have you any right to be angry? Isn't that great just how God deals with us? He's merciful. 
You know, God really could have said, okay, Jonah, I'll answer your prayer. You're dead. It's like, are you serious? Jonah, do you just understand what you prayed? How many of us has prayed prayers that we realized later that was not a good idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Good company with Jonah. But what I want us to understand is that sometimes we kind of have that attitude. I begin to read as, as some of these people were replying and, just, and saying, Man, New York needs to be wiped off this. Don't need, it doesn't need to be a state anymore. We just need to kill those people. And I was like, whoa, back up the boat. What are we thinking here? And I was so angry because it showed pictures of, of how gleeful and how happy and giddy these people were signing this. That now a baby could be legally destroyed, even up to nine months of gestation. It's like, are you kidding me? Unprecedented. And the anger that came from people, from both sides, say, God, what's wrong with us? We missed it. I said, what would happen to us? What would our response be if that person that injured us and, and we felt so hurt, and, and it's that that we just, every time you, their, their name is mentioned, even somebody that has the same name, it just kind of gets in your stomach. And what if they're arrested and, and it's like, you know what? Yeah, I knew it. They deserve that. And now death sentence is proclaimed. And you know, down deep you're kind of going, yeah, it's justice. Yeah. They wronged me and they're getting theirs. Yeah. That's justice. And then the garden, the, the governor of the state, you hear, sends a pardon. And you're called upon to deliver that message. You know, that's happened. That has happened. A man had been convicted of murder in the second degree. He was driving while intoxicated and killed a family. Only the dad survived. And there is a news media that they talked about it afterwards that the man that was to bring the news of this pardon was a brother. His brother was the only survivor. It was his nieces and nephews and his sister-in-law that had been killed. And he was to deliver the news to say he's going to be pardoned. No explanation because there is an explanation given. It wasn't like he could come and say, please explain to me how you could do this. Explain to me the reasoning. Explain to me. We need to understand the system we're living in today. It is a system that really is founded in the word of God, but it becomes corrupt when we choose to live outside of the very things that God has given us. It becomes corrupt when we take it outside of that and decide what is right and wrong in our own eyes instead of that that God has given to us. And you begin to wonder, how could a governor like that sign a pardon? Did he not understand? Does he not see from the eyes of this 
husband and father? Does he not see from the eyes of this brother? Does he not understand the grieving that goes, that is involved there? Does he not understand the gravity of this? Yet his duty was to deliver to the prison this pardon. And the story ran and said, perhaps he was late with the delivery of the news. Perhaps he waited just past the time and just went, whoops, sorry, you know, it happens. The news got there on time. And the man was not killed. But how many of us down deep would say, well, maybe he would have been justified to be a little late. Maybe it would have been okay if, because what's one more murderer? An eye for an eye, right? And we can justify as Jonah did. (laughs) Because we get angry. We get angry because we see the result of sin and we see the consequence of sin and what it does. What it does to our lives, what it does to people around us. And we begin to see, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, through a glass darkly. It's like our glasses become so fogged up with all the garbage and all the hurt that we see. And we become angry, we become bitter. We become like Noah. You wonder, God, why, why did you just find someone else? I mean, after Jonah takes off and hits to Tarshish, you know, and as, as a child, I remember the story, you know, God called a great fish and swallowed Jonah, you know, because the ship was going to be wrecked. And Jonah understands, he recognizes, and he says, hey, it's, it's my fault. I'm the one. You're looking for a reason and someone to blame? It's me. I'm fleeing from God, so just throw me overboard and it's all going to be good. And they wouldn't for a long time, but he, he finally convinced them. And as soon as they threw him overboard, guess what? It was calm. It's like, wow, talk about what God won't go to to get someone's attention. <laughs> and a great fish comes and swallows Noah, and he was in the fish's belly three days and three nights. He had time to think and finally says, okay, fine, I'll go. Fine. (laughs) You see, sometimes we get sidetracked along the way, don't we? We forget or are delayed in delivering the message of reconciliation. In a parable in Matthew 21, Jesus gives this parable of two sons. And he says, what do you think? There's a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go to the work in the vineyard. And, and he said, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. The question Jesus asked was, which of these two did what his father wanted? You see, sometimes it's easy for us to say, Lord, send someone else. I really don't feel like delivering a message right now. God, it's inconvenient for me right now. But it's not an option for us. You know why? God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, 
This is important. It's important enough to God that he did not count their sins against them, but sent his son to be the propitiation. Jesus died and shed his blood that we could be set free. Jesus gave us another parable in Luke 16 that talks about the good steward. In this parable, the steward was about to lose his job because the manager came and realized he'd not been faithful, not been doing his job, and so he knew he was going to be fired. And so what he did is he called his boss's creditors and said, you owe this much, uh, a thousand, write 500 on the bill. And he did this a couple times, and the manager came back, and he still lost his job, but he said, you know what, at least you were shrewd. In other words, you made friends at the end so that you knew when you lost your job, you'd have favor with my creditors. So he gave them that much credit. And Jesus said, the world is very good at dealing with their own kind. But the question comes back, and it really comes back to us, to the heart of the matter. And this is the question that's asked us. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And so Jesus draws a connection for us between the importance of handling money and being entrusted with true riches. Interesting how Jesus draws that connection for us because he wants us to understand the importance of being entrusted with something. Because it's so easy for us. We can begin to operate on the world's timetable and in the world's understanding. And we forget the importance of that that we've been trusted with. Do we realize the value of what God has entrusted us with? A little boy was admiring how his father prayed and he said, Daddy, I like the way you pray for missionaries. And this made his daddy pretty proud but the very next words were that that kind of took his breath away and he said but dad if I had your bank book I could answer half of your prayers Jesus makes that connection because for some of us it's more easy to simply give instead of go. It's easier to simply just put some money. And some of us, we don't even do that because it's like, well, hey, I worked hard for this. Actually, you really didn't. Everything we have has come from God. Everything. And, you know, that testimony that Pastor Tim, we were in a pastor conference and uh, that testimony came out, and they said, you know what our students, our college students did? In one offering, they gave over $64,000. Kind of quieted that room there as pastors began to, to hear that because the two speakers were talking about, and both of them hitting the same thing, the, the struggle and just, you know, we, we get to places of just discouragement and wonder, is this worth it? Is this worth the aggravation? Is it worth the stress? And the importance he was saying was, we need to understand, we get to do this. 
This is a privilege God has given us to be a part of his kingdom. We get to do this. This is not some call that you drag on and say, oh, I have to get up and make the donuts. No, we get to do this. And it's that that I want us to understand this morning. We get to do this. We are entrusted with the most valuable thing that God ever has, his word of reconciliation. He's entrusted us with that. And it's not an obligation. We get to do it. It's a privilege to tell people, you know what? God's got a plan for your life. It is a plan for hope in a future. To prosper you, not to harm you. God loves you so much. He has a personal invitation to invite you to be a son or his daughter. We've been entrusted with that. What an incredible trust God's given us. What will we do as stewards of the mysteries of God? He invested the blood of his son to set us free and to pardon us from our sin. You understand. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you understand how sin separated you from God. And yet God loved you so much, he did not count your sin against you, but he sent his son Jesus to shed his blood to pay the price to pardon you. And there were some people who probably said, don't do it. They're not worth it. And God said, they are to me. They are to me. And like Jonah, maybe we will. And I'm going to ask the brethren I'm going to serve that come at this time and prepare, please. And like Jonah, maybe we want to kind of jump in on that and say, God, don't do it. They're not going to live for you. Don't do it. You see, Jonah saw Nineveh. He saw how wicked they were. And Jonah's judgment, in Jonah's decision, it was, God, just wipe them out. Just start over again. They're not worth it. But I believe that that's a message that speaks to us today. That God is saying to us, do we understand the implications of the trust that we've been given? And God is saying, don't take it lightly. Because there are people that that you may be angry at. There are people that may have hurt you. But God is saying, I love them. I love them. And I extend an invitation. I want to pardon and forgive them. I want to invite them to have a relationship with me. Do we understand the importance of that trust we've been given? May our prayer today be, Lord, give me a greater compassion for the lost. Give me a greater sense of importance of this word of reconciliation that you've entrusted to me. That I will not lose sight. That I will not become distracted. I will not be delayed in bringing the message of the pardon. That Jesus shed his blood. That you might be set free. My friend, every day God gives you opportunities. Divine appointments. And it's easy to become distracted. It's easy to become busy with life. May we not be so busy that we miss those divine appointments, but that we, filled with courage, with conviction, would bring the message and say, my friend, God is offering a pardon. 
He's offering a pardon. He sent his son Jesus that paid the highest price. He shed his blood. And God is offering you a pardon. It's not just a redo. It's a new beginning. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Because our God is a God that makes all things new. What an incredible message that God has given us. What a trust that he has laid to us. That he has committed to us. And it's that question that Jesus gives to us when, when, when most, it seems like the church struggles with what should be the simplest thing, the most tangible thing, something that we can see, that we can do with our hands, giving, yet we struggle with that. And Jesus asked the question, you've not been faithful and trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who's going to trust you, true riches? What Jesus is saying is, do you understand the impact of this? Do you understand the impact of this trust that you've been given? The value. Because that same Jesus that was speaking that parable and gave that word would go to the cross and would become the sacrifice for our sins. You see, that's why it's so powerful. When as they were nailing him to the cross, these that his whole life of ministry tried to find ways to trip him up and to trap him. That is, he would even do miracles on the Sabbath, and it seemed like he always did it on the Sabbath. That instead of them seeing the good and seeing the life and the change in people, they tried to find fault with it. As they're nailing him to the cross, Jesus cries out with a prayer so powerful. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We've been entrusted with an incredible trust. The word of reconciliation. The question is today, what are we going to do with that trust? If there is good news, there is no better news than the news that God had presented a pardon for sin. Amen? That's the news we've been entrusted with. That's why Paul said, I preached Christ and am crucified. He wasn't going to get caught up in all the advertisement. And all those that said, well, I, I like Apollos better. I like Cephas. They began coming against Paul, the office as an apostle. And he said, yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm the least of the apostles. There's humility. It's that that he said, you know what? I preach Christ and I'm crucified. The very reason for what Paul did was not to gain notoriety, not to be the best public speaker, but his heart was transformed on the road to Damascus. 
And he received the pardon. And his message, his heart, his life was, God, until my dying breath, I'm going to share the good news that you have offered a pardon to mankind. That's why when he was stoned and left for dead, he went back into the city. Because <laughs> God's love didn't give up on Paul when he stood at the feet and at his very feet the clothes of Stephen were laid. You see, Paul didn't see anybody as unsavable or unlovable because he recognized God. My sin is horrible before me, but thank you for the blood of Jesus that you shed that I might be set free. Can we come back to that place and recognize again that God did not save you because of what you can do for him. He did it because he loved you. Can we start there and say, God, give me a greater compassion for the lost. Give me a greater understanding of the importance of this word of reconciliation understand that he shed his blood that you might be set free. He allowed his body to be broken, unrecognizable. Isaiah said that he was beaten so that he was unrecognizable. You could not look at him. He did that because he loved you. Because he loved New York. He loved those that gave their life to destroy so many. In September, so many years back, over and over again, the Mussolinis, the Hitlers, those whose self-aggrandizement killed as many as they could to push themselves up, yet God loved them. That's how far God's love goes. God, help us not to be a Jonah and look for the justification of why some people shouldn't be saved. But God, give us a greater compassion for the lost. Grip us with the reality of the trust we've been given. Jesus, thank you that you allowed your body to be broken, that we might be whole, that your word declares by your stripes we were healed. Father, help us not to trip over so many obstacles that we put there in our mind, that is put there, Father, by the reports given to us. May we choose to believe your report. Jesus, you cried out, it is finished. You accomplished the work. Thank you for that. God, help us to understand that's the secrets of the kingdom of God that you've given to us. May we boldly declare it and share it. 
Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake of the bread together. Jesus' message was very short. He could have preached a long message talking about his blood, but he said this cup represents a new covenant, a new beginning. His blood that was shed for us, a pardon for sins. Think about it, that God didn't count our sins against us. But he sent his only son to be the sacrifice to pay the price that we could be redeemed. That's good news. That's the greatest news. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Partake of the cup together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's an important trust, amen? God bless you.